Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Patience Adamu. And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip, a podcast by Black professionals for Black professionals about the political and economic decision-making that affects our communities. Stay tuned as we talk Canadian news and Black issues on a regular basis. And if you support our work to keep you informed, please subscribe. On this episode, we're happy to welcome former MPP for Scarborough Guildwood, Mitzi Hunter, who is currently one of the top five candidates in a field of more than 70, running to become Toronto's 66th mayor. That's right. This daughter of Jamaica, former cabinet minister, former CEO of Civic Action, and former CAO of Toronto Community Housing, says she has the skills and experience Toronto needs now. But will Torontonians feel the same way come election day on June 26th? Maybe this conversation will help them make a decision. Mitzi! It's a pleasure to welcome you to The Drip, ma'am. How are you? How's the campaign been so far? It's been great, uh, Curtis and Patience. It's awesome to join you here on The Drip podcast. And uh, I'm out on the trail. I was just out uh, before coming on, talking to people. And I feel great. It's, the, the campaign has hit a, a great uh, a great point um, where people are listening to what I have to say. And, and feeling, I'm feeling mm. good about it. Mm-hmm. That's very good. That's very good. I know you did your part at the debate that passed uh, this past week, and you've got another one coming up next week. Uh, but before then, why don't we jump into our conversation today? You ready? I'm ready. I just want to say, Curtis, I have four debates next week. So three on one day, actually. One is one oh my I'm goodness. really looking forward to. It, it's going to be in Scarborough at UTSC, my alma I'll be mater. There. When, so, oh, That's awesome. right. I'm looking forward to that, too. I'm looking forward to it, yeah. too. So in the latest polls that I've seen, you've earned a real bump in attention since the start of the race. You now sit at about 9% support, making you competitive against Mark Saunders, who's in fourth place, and you're ahead of Brad Bradford, who's in sixth place. That said, among decided voters, which seems to be about 74% of folks right now, former city councillor Olivia Chow would become Toronto's next mayor with about 30% of the vote if the election were held today. And by the way, in a distant second and third are Anna Bailau with 21% and then Josh Matlau with 14%. So here's the question. What is your competitive differentiator and how do you intend on using it to close that gap? Yeah, and I want to say it's, it is early for for the polls and you know what we are looking for are decided voters. And, and that's where I'm really excited about what I'm hearing as people get to know me and and realize that, you know, I've I've made that sacrifice. I resigned my seat as the MPP for Scarborough Guildwood. And I'm all in. I'm all in. I want to bring the experience that I have that 10 years 
you know, within the provincial government and, mm-hmm. um, and to bring that to, to city hall, you know, I have that confidence. I have the background, I have the experience and the plan. I believe I have the best plan. So as I get a chance to tell that to more and more people, I believe that, you know, my numbers will continue to rise. I am, I have that momentum now. I am on the uptick and I believe mm-hmm. that that will continue. Um, you know, and, and I'm excited about this race. I'm excited about being from Scarborough <laughs> and uh, having been a champion in Scarborough. And, and you know, I, I know I have the support of my community and, and to take that forward into this race. Uh, you know, I, I understand what it's like being on the outside and, and now, you know, having that chance to, to bring more of those voices inside a City Hall and um, and to make sure that that city is a city that actually works for everyone everywhere, and uh, and that's what that's what I believe is the, going to be the difference maker in this campaign and in this election, and and I'm going to continue to work hard and keep meeting as many people as I can. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I think a perfect segue from what you just said is to talk a little bit about housing. You've mm-hmm. proposed a pretty bold plan, and I've got to say, I like it. You say you're the only candidate right now uh, with a clear, detailed, costed plan that will build the most affordable housing among your competitors. And you say phase one of your plan would provide 22,692 affordable units over four years. 7% of those units would be below the average market rent or the AMR, or would be a shared equity units at a cost just over $1 billion over four years. But you also lay out how you'll recover that $1 billion also within four years and show that in year 30 of the program, Toronto would have earned $2.5 billion in ROI or return on investment. So walk us through your plan and again, why your plan is better than your competitors. Yeah, and I, I thank you, Patience. And I, I want to start with the story that you know, really sparked this for me as I was at the start of the campaign. Um, I was actually being hosted by uh, the Black Techs in Professionals, and we were having a great time. You know, many former Civic Action Diversity Fellows were present, and and Mm -hmm. we were all vibing. I I went over to um, someone I was meeting, you know, for the first time, and and she definitely... um, was going to have her second child. You know, she was just about ready to have that second baby. And as I was talking to her about what I was hearing in the city and about of housing affordability, she started to tell me her story. And, and the reality is that her and her husband don't think that when they welcome their second child that they can afford to stay in the city. And, you know, she, she started to cry. And, and it, it was a, a realization that this issue of housing affordability is universal. It's touching people right across the city. It's touching young people like my niece, who when I asked her if she was going to buy a house one day, just sort of an auntie talking to her niece. And she (laughs) said, she said, she no, she said she never thinks that she'll be able to afford to buy a house. And that's different than when I was growing up. You know, it's different that young people can't even think of themselves as being able to rent an apartment in our city to house their family or being able to buy. And so I want to bring a solution to fix the housing crisis in Toronto, because for Toronto to be a city that continues to to grow and to thrive, 
and to welcome newcomers from all over. You know, my family and I, we immigrated here from Jamaica when I was a child. And, you know, it was all about this is the place that you can build your dreams. And it has mm. to continue to be that place. So my housing affordable plan is a centerpiece of what I am bringing forward as a candidate for mayor. And it is about doing things differently, first of all, new solutions, a fresh set of eyes to this challenge that you're, it's not the same old, same old. It is, it is new, it's a new way of thinking about the problem. And so what I wanna do is take the, the vast amount of public land that the city owns and turn some of that into affordable housing. We have 8,400 sites that the city owns currently. And what I'm saying is let's add housing to those sites. So there might be a library, you know, just sort of there on its own. We can put housing around that and we can add green space and playgrounds and offices for public health and really make it a community, two and three bedroom units. And, you know, and I'm also thinking about home ownership. And a portion of, of those units will be affordable home ownership units as well. And so it is really about the city becoming its own builder and owner and not just leaving it up to developers. Because, you know, we got to fix the six. We have to have a city that has housing available for everyone who needs, who needs a, a place to live. Completely agreed. I love it. We got to fix the six. Yeah. <laughs> love it especially when we're talking about the fact that what i think it's a uh, 84,500 units are backlogged for affordable housing right now you're talking about taking a sizable bite out of that chunk of housing that's necessary so i with you 100 percent. curtis can i i know i know i want to linger a little longer if i go can, ahead and have the time because we this do? is this is a cross-cutting issue. Listen, man, I was out in Weston um, talking to to some families, and and they were saying, you know, one mother, she's like, I can't get my adult kids out of my house. She's like, I want them mm. out of the house. So she was actually responding to this plan in a different way. She's saying, you know, the, the kids can't even leave home. They can't even fully grow up without mm. having affordable housing. So this is a cross-cutting issue. And um, and that's why I care so much about it. And, and I'm going to put so much emphasis. So on day one, I'm going to issue a proclamation that says that declares there's no more surplus land in the city in terms of what the city controls. All of it is going to be looked at for affordable housing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I like it very much. Jumping from one big plan to, I don't know, maybe a bigger plan, maybe a similar big plan. We'll see. On transit, you've got a plan that comes through with big energy. In fact, the Toronto Star recently called it the biggest proposal to date. You say you'll invest $7 billion to build the North York Scarborough subway to connect Shepherd West and Downs U Station to Scarborough Town Center, plus build the waterfront LRT, which is unfunded currently. Plus, reverse the recent TTC fare hikes and service cuts, which I think everybody wants. Plus, give seniors and wheel-trans uh, riders free rides. I love it. I think patients love it. I'm pretty sure many of our listeners do. Now, tell us how you'll pay for it all. Yeah, and I, thank you for going into my transit plan because, you know, it is all about making sure that our city gets moving again. And, and we know that 
you know, the Ontario line is shutting down Queen Street for five years. And, and so this is going to cause even more congestion and gridlock. So yep. at a time when we need to actually create more capacity on our transit system, we can't afford to be like, you know, lowering service and cutting routes and raising fares, right? Mm-hmm. That's going to cause a death spiral. And so I want to put a stop to that. And, you know, I've identified areas uh, within my, my plan that will make sure that, you know, seniors will ride for free, that Wheeltrans is going to be for free, um, and, and that people can get around the city safely on the TTC. So making sure that, you know, that issue of safety is dealt with by adding social workers paired with transit officers and, uh, and making sure that our system is safe and that people feel safe and they actually are safe. And, and in terms of um, the cost, that's something that, you know, I've, I've committed to, to the TTC and as part of our transit system that we will fully fund uh, from operating the, the TTC. I think that's that's something that's really important that we have that stability and that we're growing our transit system with those new lines that you've talked about. I'm personally as a Scarborough subway champion for many years and that uh, that you know I'm able to announce and to commit to um, the, the the North York Scarborough subway extension and that's going to stretch from Downsview all the way to McCowan and Shepherd and complete that, you know, that short little link there and make sure it's a system that really connects people in our city. Uh, I was very, uh, very much uh, reading the provincial budget and looking for those transit commitments. And I do notice that Premier Ford has identified that as a future transit line. So I, I want to align Toronto's priorities. You know, that's something that I bring is experience at the provincial level. And I want to align Toronto's uh, transit priorities. And of course, we know that the capital costs for that infrastructure, Toronto will need to commit its portion, but so will the province and the federal government as well. And in order for them to do that, they have to see that Toronto is fully committed. So in my plan, what I've identified as the initial cost is to do the detailed design of, mm-hmm. of that project. And of, of course, of the, um, the waterfront LRT uh, East project, which is really important for, you know, the development of more housing and, um, and lands for institutions uh, right on the East waterfront. Portland's area is the waterfront mm-hmm. East LRT. The George Brown campus is down there, 9,000 staff and students go there each day we need to make sure that they can go there on transit and so committing to transit um you know there are different uh costs involved and it's a longer term capital commitment that i'm making uh, into these projects but it's also about what kind of city we want we want a city where people have choice when it comes to transit i don't know if you know this uh, Curtis and patient. But when I was, you know, leaving high school to go to university and way back in the day, you know, I had acceptance at York University as well as UTSC. And my mom and I were looking at these two applications and saying, where are you going to go? What are you going to choose? And I was, of course, wanting to go to York because my friends were all going to York. And my yeah. mom said to me, she's like, UTSC is one bus ride up the road. And, and that's where I chose to go to my university, right? So public transit has a big impact on how people live in, in our city. I know many, many, many 
people who live in Scarborough and, you know, some of the, you know, North Tobacco and some of these places, they spend hours of their day commuting, get, you know, mm-hmm. going yeah. one way and trying to get back the next. And I'm trying you know to shorten that. Yeah. to improve the quality of life for people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I guess yeah. the, the fundamental question I have on that though is, I mean, so not necessarily just, okay, where's the money coming from, but we are essentially in a relationship with the federal government, with the provincial government, where yes, as you noted, and as generally speaking, everybody knows, they are supposed to fund our project, particularly transit. However, as we're seeing right now, there are times where they can't or won't for whatever reason, even temporarily. So in terms of funding major projects, whether it be transit or otherwise, but specifically transit, are you also envisioning let's call it a new partnership or a new framework with the other levels of government to ensure Toronto's needs are met moving forward. You know, what I bring is um, 10 years of, of provincial experience. You know, I've, I've served on treasury board, uh, looking at the program spending at the province. I've been the associate finance minister. So I've actually contributed to drafting the budgets um, and, and really understand in detail how that works. Of course, uh, can negotiate uh, with the federal government as well. So I'm bringing that skill set and that experience on, on day one to this role as mayor of Toronto to be Toronto's biggest champion. And I will absolutely be the biggest advocate for this city, make sure that we get our fair share because Toronto has to succeed for the rest of the province and the country to succeed. And so we need to make sure that that's done. When it comes to big infrastructure projects like transit, absolutely, I will make sure that, you know, we have our third contribution, but that the the province and the federal government kicks in their third. And they will only do that if we're clear on our priorities, which is why I've outlaid in advance what my priorities are. And by the way, the $2.9 million required to do the planning for the, uh, the, the dedicated busway for Scarborough, who is losing line three, the SRT, you know, yep. I've committed to doing that because why Excellent. would we make Scarborough people wait and get on buses for 10 years when we can right. cut their commute by 21 minutes by giving them a dedicated busway? These are the kinds of things that you know, I'll make sure it gets done. And in a responsible way, I've actually committed to uh, making sure that before voting begins in June, that I will put forward my budget that really shows um, how the numbers come together and that people will have that clear picture. When they vote for me, they will know where I stand. And we look forward to parsing through it. <laughs> hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So we know that, of course, housing and transit really change how people navigate the city. But more and more, mental health is also uh, a concern or a consideration that people are thinking about as they as they live in the city. Um, mental health is a top concern in this municipal election, and rightfully so, after a series of random attacks on our transit systems, not to mention other more deadly attacks perpetrated by incels and the like. Um, you're proposing a $5 million plan to tackle the crisis, which includes hiring a chief mental health officer, relaunching Toronto's mental health support strategy, creating a long-term comprehensive mental health and addiction strategy, increasing the Community Service Partnerships Program Fund, creating a technology fund to modernize the integration of city and provincial mental health and addiction services. That's a mouthful. So as simply (laughs) as you can put it, um, can you walk us through how this plan will work? Yeah, and and I, I, you know, patients coming out of the pandemic, one of the things that has been of real concern is the number of people experiencing mental health uh, issues, as well as uh, an increase in addictions and substance abuse. And so this is uh, this is a real concern in our city. And we know that health is a provincial responsibility. Uh, at the same time, people live here and we've got to make sure that we have that response that's appropriate. I was at CAMH recently and, you know, we were talking about this in terms of what everyone can do, even employers. You know, what can we do right. to make sure that people are well? And so, you know, I want to make sure that uh, that Toronto does what it is can and in, in our ability, such as a mm-hmm. chief mental health officer that will work with the mayor's office, as well as with the medical officer of health to provide, you know, guidance around responding to mental health concerns in the issue in, in, in the city and work with our public health resources in order to do that. Um, there is a, a mental health strategy that was underway that's kind of gone dormant. So I'm going to relaunch that and make sure we have new energy around that. And some of the the leaders that are involved in that, you know, bring them back to help to solve this this growing problem that we have in our city uh, that we can see, you know, it sort of manifests in homelessness and a rise in homelessness and, right, you know, yeah. people visibly uh, experiencing unwellness in, in our in our city, um, making sure that we have um, a strategy for, for mental health is, is something that is really important. And also youth, our young people, um, that you know that we have a, a specific focus on on our youth in terms of uh, mental health and addictions issues, and you know, an, an example for me as well in terms of the city sort of leaning into solving a problem, even if it's not its its sort of responsibility. Um, during COVID, we we knew that the Black community was experiencing COVID at much higher rates um, and was not necessarily uh, the uptake for vaccines and testing. Testing and vaccines was not the same, Uh, yet the outcomes were so catastrophic when it comes to the Black community, more more, uh, infections, higher rates of death than than we saw in the general population. So what I did in Scarborough, where I represented, was I brought together 
a table of experts, black doctors and, um, you know, Taibu Community Health Center, who has responsibility at that local level for, mm-hmm, for health uh, in the black community. Yeah. And we mm-hmm. and we met. We met with the hospitals as well because they had and, and the city's public health uh, to talk about strategies that we could do to solve it and to bring down those rates. And I, I remember even just one solution. It seemed really small, but the intake on the website was not allowing registration for vaccinations at Taibu. And it was on our call that that was resolved and, and it got fixed right away. And so it just removed that impediment. And sometimes it's not about more money, it's about how we coordinate and and work better together. And that was an example of what we were able to do. So when it comes to mental health, those are some of the things that we need to do is have a strategy and have people that are working in a coordinated way to make sure that people are well in our city. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Awesome. Shout outs to your strategic thinking. Shout outs to Taibu doing the work as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. uh, you know, jumping from mental health to another major issue that's related, uh, talking about our city's drug crisis, which you're mm-hmm. a key part of the debate around it currently. So, on the one hand, there's you, there's Olivia Chow, Josh Matlow, Anna Bailau, and Brad Bradford. You're all saying. You support Toronto Public Health's request for a federal uh, decriminalization exemption, which would decriminalize Mm -hmm. small amounts of drugs going back to 2021. And then on the other hand, you got Mark Saunders, who simply he's not about that life. He's saying no, he opposes the further decriminalization of drugs. It's worth noting that Toronto's current police chief also supports decriminalization like you and the others. So Mm -hmm. why do you hold your position? And can you speak specifically to how you'll manage safe injection sites. Wow, this is uh, this is a really important issue to me. Um, so my experience as the MPP for Scarborough Guildwood, uh, th- this this was a big issue that we saw in our community where people didn't get the help and support that they needed, and and mm-hmm. we needed to work on a strategy. We put forward, um, you know, a, a pilot program at 140 Adnac to bring on-site supports, um, including pharmacist support, um, psychologists, social worker support, um, and and we even had things like naloxone kits right on on site. And it saved lives, right? So people of Toronto expect that their governments will support those who are struggling with addictions and, and mental health issues and minimize harm to themselves and to others. And the opioid crisis has, you know, manifested a weakness uh, that we see in our system and in our structure. And so part of that is like lack of affordable housing, which we've spoken to earlier, you know, workplace benefit coverage for people and and adequate social assistance, including things like ODSP. Right. So so these gaps are being noticed in, in that opioid crisis on our streets and it's manifesting in many ways. And so what we can't see is that people who are already vulnerable and and oftentimes racialized communities are affected disproportionately, indigenous communies that, you know, and and I believe that the province is failing in its responsibility to address the mental health and addictions crisis. And I've spoken to that by, you know, making sure that Toronto has a strategy. And so we can't criminalize people at their, their lowest point and when they need help the most. 
Um, the public health um, in Toronto has already uh, agreed with, with Health Canada and, uh, and the chief of police, the current chief of police, has already, <laughs> has already agreed um, to decriminalizing certain drugs for personal use. And, and that just shields people, including young people, uh, from criminalization. And we know what happens when our young people are criminalized. It just leads to, you know, more challenges later on in life. So, you know, this is, uh, this is, this is a, a made in Toronto solution that I believe uh, makes sense for our community. And, um, and we just have to, you know, tackle it head on, head on, give people the help and the support that they need, provide treatments, and so that people can be well in our city. I, you know, you're, you're definitely taking a compassionate, if not thoughtful approach to the situation. On the flip side, though, I think there's a challenge in how we, you know, specifically administer the safe injection sites within the context that we want people to um, have access to safe supplies rather than them dying and not having the support that they need to live. On the other hand, though, when we have a safe injection site that is just, you know, its surroundings are filled with paraphernalia, filled with, you know, folks who are using, and that takes away from the uh, living experience from those who live around those sites. You know, what, what are you proposing to specifically address that issue? Because again, people want to see other people helped, but they also don't want their quality of life diminished. How do we resolve that? So following the evidence and the science is really crucial. And sometimes, you know, doing that takes us out of our comfort zone, but we have to be prepared to do things even if we're uncomfortable because it's worth doing what is right to save lives, as you've said. So some of the things that I believe is that we also need to continue to expand the availability of 24 by seven addiction support services to to provide an alternative to emergency room departments, which is the most costly way to intervene. And we need to build on, you know, announced partnerships like uh, supervised, supervised consumption services in collaboration with hospitals, right? So we're getting, you know, medical, medical advice, medical response, but available in, in community. Um, and I know that because I've, I've seen you know, these workers that are placed uh, around these sites to make sure that it's clean and well-maintained and safe for everyone, residents and pets and everyone going um, through that neighborhood and through that area. We need to also dramatically increase the availability of supportive housing. That's something that I put forward, uh, as which, which includes mental health services and supports for the prevention, the intervention and the treatment for opioid addiction and overdose. And, uh, and that includes the supply of naloxone kits, you know, fentanyl testing strips and harm reduction supplies at pharmacies, community spaces, and through first responders. So let's work together to do everything that we can to keep people safe and alive and healthy in our communities. Um, keeping in this trend of um, kind of decriminalization and, and uh, working with uh, folks who are involved with the criminal justice system, Premier Ford's Labour Minister Monty McNaughton recently announced that Ontario would spend $12 million to help some of the 1 million people with criminal records get back into the job market, citing that the records block many from meaningful employment. 
which keeps them in a cycle of crime and or poverty, neither of which is good for our communities or our economy. Seeing as how this program would only help about 2,200 Ontarians through nine organizations, would you seek to supplement this program so it has a greater effect in the city of Toronto? Yes, I mean, I I would definitely advocate to expand the program on behalf of uh, people who live in our city. And I'd like to see more details of of this plan uh, from Minister McNaughton and how, how it would work. But I wanted to work for Toronto. I will advocate to make sure that Toronto gets its fair share and that people in this city have access to this and uh, and that more people um, you know, can access employment by removing any barrier. You know, one of the, the experiences that I've had, I worked at Goodwill Industries that provided work for people who face barriers to employment. And um, you know, what 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 I learned from you know being there was that people might have had a period in their life where they struggled and they may, may have, you know, um, had certain challenges, but it shouldn't define them. You know, they want to actually get better. I remember uh, one of a gentleman, he uh, was actually, he learned painting skills and uh, and he ended up uh, working at, um, at one of the local businesses. And I ran into him years later and he, he said to me, Mitzi, since I took that training at Goodwill, my life got better every day. Every single day oh, through that job, his life got better. better. And, and he's able to, yeah, and for his family, right? So we've got to make sure that people can find their way back, even if, you know, they've fallen off the wagon for whatever reason. Um, just make sure that they can get back up and get right right back into, you know, caring for themselves and for their families. And, and it seems like that's the intent of this program. And I want to make sure that the people in Toronto who need access to it have that access for sure certainly like the way that sounds too. Well, Mitzi, you know, this has been a good conversation where you've been able, and in my opinion, to demonstrate your thoughtfulness on the issues of the day. Before we wrap up though, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to leave our listeners with? It could be policy related. It could not. Up to you. Well, the most important thing in this upcoming election is that people get out and vote. I, I just can't stress how how critical that is and how important that is. Um, it's, it's, it's an election that is gonna determine the future of the city, It's gonna determine who leads the city. Um, I believe that it is time for change. Toronto, it's time for change. And, you know, I'm putting myself forward and, um, and, and I believe I represent that change. I bring a fresh new, perspective, uh, a fresh set of eyes. Um, I'm a black woman who grew up in Scarborough. And, um, and you know, I want to make sure that our city represents and uh, works for everyone everywhere, you know, and, um, and that's, that's something that's really important to me, along with all of the things that we talked about. You know, I, I believe that Toronto should also be a creative city. And we should be supporting mm. our artists and um, and those who really add soul to our city, and mm. and that's that's the the kind of person that I am. I bring that that competency, that broad set of experience, but I also care. I care about our city. I care about those young people. You know, all of those those children from from communities who will look up and they say, you know what, I see her, and and if they can see me, they can be me. And, uh, and so this election is about a lot of things and it's about a city that works for everyone everywhere. 
And uh, I'm just asking everyone to get out and vote and let's work together to fix the six and, uh, and make sure that we have a city where people can continue to afford to live here and, and be uh, an active part of our city. So I really, I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to your listeners today, uh, Curtis and Patience, and just um, for, for you coming forward, knowing what I'm putting out there and sharing that with your listeners. I really appreciate certainly. that. Oh, certainly. Our pleasure. It has been such a great conversation. I'm just echoing what, what Curtis said earlier. We're so happy that you were able to drop by and speak on your platform. And we wish you the best of luck on, on your campaign. Thank you. And thank you, Patience. And people can find out more on my website. It's mitziformare.ca. Uh, so M-I-T-Z-I-E-F-O-R-M-A-Y-O-R.ca. For the listeners, we will add a link to Mitzi's campaign website to our show notes so you can just click to tap through. Thank you again, Mitzi. Thank you. You just listened to episode 99 of The Trip. We're releasing pods on a monthly basis, so subscribe to stay up to date. You can also keep up with us on our Instagram and through our Patreon pages dedicated to the podcast. Follow us or support us at The Drip T.O. You know, we love our many non-BIPOC, non-Black listeners, but a message specifically to our Black listeners, we hope that you know that this is a safe space for you. So if you have any feedback or questions, feel free to slide in our DMs and let us know what's up. We'd also like to give a special shout out to Toronto's very own Be On Location for the sounds you're hearing now. You can find more tracks from him wherever you get your music. Thanks again to Mitzi Hunter for joining us. Well, let's fix the six together. Remember, June 26th is election day. Please remember to vote. She said it best. See y'all next time. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 